Uh, will you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8? We're going to start at verse 16 and go through the first five verses of chapter 9. And I want to just remind you of the context of what's going on. Uh, as I said to the children, this whole section is about generosity. And the church counts on the generosity of believers. And it's come to the ears of Paul that the church back in Jerusalem is in dire straits. They are literally starving to death. And this, uh, this is the place uh, where the gospel really started before it went out into the world of Judea, Samaria, right to the ends of the earth. And now uh, it's spread to the Mediterranean and they hear that the very place where the gospel was first preached is in, uh, in such a condition Will the church even survive there? During Paul's time in Macedonia, uh, his heart was brought great joy, he tells us, by the response of the Macedonians to those suffering Christians uh, back in Jerusalem. They gave, it says, out of abundance. And you would think, oh, maybe they had a lot of money. It was abundance in their poverty. And they didn't have to be begged for it. In fact, uh, in, in our uh, last week's sermon, we saw they begged. How can we participate in, in, in the care of these saints? And so they gave out of their abundance. Their heart yearned to be whatever service they could give, even if it meant that they must do without. And Titus, uh, who comes up in our story tonight, in our, in our letter, Titus had begun a work back in Corinth of raising support, we learned last week, of raising support for the Corinthian church. But for whatever reason, it was put on hold and Titus is not there anymore. And he's going to go back to this church and finish the course of raising the support. And the expectation is that the Corinthian church, when he arrives, would follow example of the Macedonians who have given so generously. He's hoping that there will be proof of their love, their love for Christ, what Christ has given them, and their love for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. You see, the church, we learn here, is not to be insular. The church doesn't just care about itself, but the church looks outward and is active in supporting the work of the gospel, both at home and in the world. All hands on deck, all active. Paul activates to get, uh, get what the uh, Corinthian church needs. Let me pray. Uh, and then we're going to read God's word and then we'll dive in. Our gracious God, we thank you for the word that you set before us this evening. Uh, Lord, you have been so generous to us in your grace. So generous in supplying the thing that we need the thing that we can't fix by ourselves, that you have poured out your spirit, you have raised us from the dead, you have given us life, Lord, life abundant in Christ Jesus. What an amazing gift of grace. Lord, I pray as we hear a word like this tonight, that we would be generous, that we would extend grace to others, not just in the sharing of the gospel, but in giving generously of the gifts that you have uh, supplied us with both, uh, Lord, if that means finances, but the gifts you've given to 
uh, individuals for the church. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we hear this word, that our hearts would be responsive, that you would bring us great joy in what we hear. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 16. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And for as our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. This is God's word for his people. Amen. Uh, Tonight, we're going to look at two things as we consider integrity in action. One, leaders with integrity And two, saints with integrity. First, leaders with integrity. Uh, We naturally expect those who are called to leadership over us to have integrity. How many churches have been devastated to find that those who were over the church suffered some kind of moral or spiritual failure. Those who were, uh, we were trusting to look after us, to take care of us, only to find out that they were using us or manipulating us or lying to us. Men who should be imitated can instead become humiliated in the trappings of sinful desire and deceit. We see it in the world. In many ways, we're not surprised when we see it in the world, when we, see, when we hear of some CEO that's been embezzling or, or some situation like this. But when we see it in the church, it rocks our faith. And you can, you can sense Paul's anticipating this. Paul's 
Paul's writing to them saying, look, we're gathering a lot of money together, probably. A lot of gifts. A big gift. He's got it from Macedonia and he's got it from other churches that are sending some of these delegates. And he's coming back to Corinth. And a large sums to be gathered together and to be taken back to Jerusalem. And you can almost hear Paul making an appeal. Listen, listen. I know what this is going to look like as all these funds are being gathered together. And, and, and you know, he's not wrong in making this assumption. I mean, half of this letter has been Paul defending himself. I mean, people who are upset because he changed his travel plans, <laughs> right? And false apostles saying, can this man really be trusted? And here Paul is writing to, to gather large sums of money. You, you can sense he's anticipating this uh, in this passage. And uh, he understands then the importance of safeguarding the ministry and safeguarding the name of Christ and safeguarding those leaders that have been called uh, to minister over the church. Uh, to have men of integrity is of utmost importance. And so... He, he's sending three men to come to the Corinthian church. Verse 20 through 21, he says why he takes this course. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. He wants to show that he is holding himself to the highest standard before God's sight and before your sight. And so, the men he sends. He sent Titus first. Titus had a relationship with them. He'd already been starting a collection before he left. And now he sends him back. Rather, he, he commends to them Titus. This man of integrity, this pastor, cannot wait to get back to them, it says. He doesn't have to beg him to go. He wants to go. He is sending a pastor who wants to be with his people. He needed no convincing. Verse 16, he has earnest care for the church in Corinth. He's not going under coercion. Paul didn't say, look, you want to rise up in the ministry? You've got to do this thing for me, brother. Go collect some money. No, he wants to go because he genuinely loves the Corinthian church and he loves the church of Jesus Christ. Men of integrity who are over Christ's church, need to have this kind of love and care for God's people. Your pastor and your elders should desire to be with you. You should expect it of them. They should want to be with those that are under their care, not isolated from them. Titus comes on his own accord with all urgency. There's a holy fire underneath his feet to be with them. Paul has the same feelings. He spent the first part of this letter regretful that he had to change his plans. He cares deeply for the Corinthian church and he is sending his most faithful partner to go and be with them. Paul trusts the Corinthian church to the care of Titus because Titus is a man of integrity. It says that Paul is also sending in verse 18 another brother who is famous for preaching the gospel among the churches. This isn't just uh, uh, some gifted itinerant preacher that's going around and, you know, uh, at the end of the service is throwing out the buckets and say, give me some money. Didn't I come and give you a great sermon? This isn't, uh, 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 you know, like today, it's just, a, you know, my pastor is the, 
you name it, the famous uh, guy you love to listen to on the, um, on the internet. This is a man who the churches have all agreed, it would seem, is filled with uh, the greatest gift you could hope for your pastor, which is the declaration of the gospel, clear and abundantly so. And this is the kind of man he's sending, a man who gives the pure gospel, a man of integrity. Brothers and sisters, never should your pastor have the pulpit as his own personal soapbox to say the things that he wants to say, whether it's in the Word or not, right? That, that I'm going to get up here, you're going to vote the way I tell you to vote, or you're going to think the way I tell you to think, putting aside the Word. Now, your pastor's greatest uh, call and role before you is to give you Christ always. Otherwise, he's not a man of integrity. For what reason was he called? But to give Christ. To give Christ. What a great gift. Paul's sending a church that he's hoping to collect gifts from. Men of integrity. Uh, and he sends them. The third man that comes is in verse 22. Comes having been tested and found earnest in many matters. Many have looked into this man's life and searched him and known him to be a man of integrity. He's sending uh, not just one to collect gifts, but multiple for accountability. A lot of this reminds me of what happens at Presbytery when we speak of men of integrity, that men examine these other men and ask them about their personal life, their, 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 what they're doing spiritually. They test them on matters of Scripture and theology. They test them on their knowledge of uh, uh, the, uh, the table and baptism. They are tested men sent out into the world. This is who Paul is sending. Someone who has been tested as a man of integrity. That's the theme tonight if you haven't picked up on it. Integrity. Your leadership should have it. And you should expect them to have it. Especially when we talk about what Paul's doing here. The gathering of resources. Can these men be trusted? Not only just uh, with the souls of the people that they're responsible for but also the resources that people give in abundance and generously to the church. Your leadership here will come to you with pressing need. They are men of integrity. They have been tested after a year of training and gifts and calling as they lead. They will also ask for generosity. And it might be for a church plant, or it might be for some other work, or for suffering saints, both far from us or suffering saints within our own body. You will be asked to give generously to the work of the church and to the church universal. This is a means by which we spread grace. That's the language Paul uses. It's an outworking of the grace that we have been shown in Christ Jesus. We have been entrusted to give you as leadership of integrity, the gospel of grace, and we will ask you to trust us to be stewards of that grace and of the church's resources. And so I want to commend to you your session, your DAC, and it's your staff. I want you to know what happens outside 
of uh, a, a Sunday. They, they gather, the staff does, with the pastors uh, every Monday morning, and we, we go through the Word together, and we pray over you guys, and we go through the various ministries of the church, and we talk about how is what you're doing, your particular ministry, fit into the vision of the church? How is this using our resources well? And, it, and in that same day, and every day, probably to a lot of the guys who don't love to look at their phones, Slack is always going. Your DAC in it, your session, your staff, your pastors are always communicating all week long. My wife sometimes says, can you just put it down? These, these are people who have full-time jobs that are giving themselves to Christ, to you for the sake of the church. These are men of integrity. It was just this week... Uh, we had to, as a session, a diaconate, not we had to, we get to, uh, gather together for our, our monthly session meeting. At that meeting, we, we did some of the same things I described early in the week, that we pray over each of our shepherding groups. We pray for the needs of the people in the church. This is um, uh, done knowing who you are, knowing um, uh, things about you. At the same meeting, though, uh, was the time in which we gather to do our yearly budget. And that always weighs heavy on a man. When we ask for our congregation to give of finances, can we be trusted with how those are being spent? What does, if we're going to add something to the budget line, how does that fit into the mission, to the, to the vision of the church? Making sure that each precious gift you have given fits into the ministry of the gospel in Brentwood and in the world. The pastors and the elders do not know who gives. They don't know what you give. What is more, as another layer of accountability, it's a group effort. One man doesn't decide where the church is going and what they're doing. It's a collective body that looks and says, how does this fit into the ministry of the church? We are genuinely in earnest for your souls, the gospel, and only seek to do that which is honorable to the Lord in His sight, for He watches us and in the sight of you all. So we see pressing needs. And we... Uh, see those needs need the generosity of its people. And so, one, thanks be to God that you have been a generous people in the life of this church. I want you to know that people are counting on us. I'm not just talking about your staff and your pastors, but there's ministries that count on us, missionaries that count on us. And so, uh, give generously, trusting that your leadership are people of integrity. And so, as, uh, as Paul has shown us the kind of men of integrity that he is sending to the church at Corinth, he also, in chapter 9, is counting on the integrity of the saints, our second point. Paul has been boasting, it seems, everywhere that he, is, he goes about the Corinthian church. He's talking to everybody about them. He is proud of the obvious ways that God has been working grace in them. That they are, uh, you know, when you talk about transformation... Uh, and what Corinth was like before the gospel came there. Uh, you know, I don't even want to say it out loud because there's children in the room, right? 
a transformation has happened. And he's been telling them how God has gotten a hold of these Corinthians and how their lives are being changed, that they respond in repentance when reproved, that they receive with happiness the good news of the gospel. And he sees all the ways that they are changed and have become faithful. He can count the ways that God is sanctifying them. And then verse 9, he writes to them about the needs of the Jerusalem church. And he says, it's superfluous to even bring it up because he knows they will be responsive. Sorry, that's not verse 9. That's verse 1 of chapter 9. Um, he knows that they will be saints of integrity. He can count on them to respond to his leadership and he banks all his boast on the eagerness for the sake of the gospel and their integrity. He has been telling the Macedonians the church at Corinth is already active uh, through the first work of Titus in preparing the gifts to come to the aid of the suffering church in Jerusalem. They report of the care for the needs of other churches. And it has motivated Macedonia, even in their poverty, to give generously. Verse 5 then, he expects for the church to follow through on what they have promised. People are counting on them and he knows they will come. He desires that the Corinthian church will be famous for their generosity. In what ways do people count on our generosity? We have a lot of people counting on us. It isn't merely your staff and pastors that count on your generosity. It's ministries like RUF ministers on their campuses count on the church uh, both All Saints and the other churches in our presbytery giving to the work. The church is coming together just as we see Paul describing that the church has regard not just for All Saints Church Little C, but the church Big C and the work that's going on. And we participate in that. And we participate in, in the bottoms. So that it's your work. The work that is happening abroad. It is your work as you give generously to this. That those being trained in the seminaries and those a part of the church plant, your generous gifts fund the work of the gospel in the world. It's true for ELI. The work of, uh, uh, of uh, our ELI staff that we send. I mean, we're talking thousands upon thousands of people being ministered through pastors who are being trained and churches being planted. Your gifts are a part of that. And it should bring you great joy to participate in this world. Listen, there's people in this congregation who have eaten because you've given generously. Needs. Anytime it arises in this congregation that we would care for each other out of the generous giving of the church. Oh, God is glorified when He sees Christians loving each other this way. We don't hoard the gifts, but we share the gifts. Each need then that this church supports is to fit into the vision of the church. I keep saying that we're going to be addressing that in the next. Is it next Sunday? Uh, we're going to meet during the Sunday school hour and talk about the vision because we want you guys to understand how do you spend the money? What is the vision? What's the goal? Why do we gather? What's what do we hope for and how are we arriving at that? And so uh, that will be happening next week. I would encourage you to come. Uh, in many ways, the budget of the church is our promise to fulfill these responsibilities. We're not brand building. We're kingdom building. 
We aren't exacting a price from you, but resting on your willingness to participate in the greater story of what Christ is doing in Brentwood, in Nashville, and in the world. We are just All Saints Church, Little C, but a part of Christ Church, Big C. Verse 5, Paul feels compelled to urge the brothers to ask for the generosity of the church. Look, it's not our favorite subject. But we ask the same here at All Saints. Be generous, for in doing so, we, verse 19, we carry out this act of grace for the glory of the Lord to show our good will. Let's pray.